0: I look at myself as, you know, we have 182 employees right now, 20 managers, then a group of supervisors. And if you're not, you get, I'm the head coach of a football team. That's really what it is. And a head coach of of any type of team needs to be, you know, strong, diligent, calm, even in chaotic situations, but also stern when, when
1: needed. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success.
2: And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness,
1: leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh. Welcome to 2022. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here in 2022. How are you? I am
2: fantastic. This is our first recording in 2022. Although, spoiler alert, we did have uh, an episode that already went live, but it was recorded in 2021. But don't tell anybody that.
1: Don't so tell anybody. It's big secret.
2: We are here. We are here. We're excited to be back for another year. Josh, I have a question for you. All right. When I say the letters F E C, what comes to mind?
1: I would say a fun and educational carpenter. Carpenter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What about you? What comes to mind for you?
2: Well, I'm really interested in that now, but maybe that's another conversation for another time. Um, For me, the topic of uh, FEC is Family Entertainment Center.
1: Ah, that's so much better than mine.
2: (laughs) And part of the reason that comes to mind is twofold, because number one, we have Craig Buster today on the show, who is the general manager of a FEC, Family Entertainment Center, in Sparks, Nevada. So we get to talk to him, but also we get to highlight the IAPA FEC Summit that's coming up.
1: Yes, absolutely. So the IAPA FEC Summit, just to highlight that really quickly, it's back after a two-year hiatus. It is in Scottsdale, Arizona, at the Wicopa Casino Resort uh, from January 23rd through the 26th. And it's near some phenomenal attractions, the Arizona Boardwalk, Odyssey Aquarium, Bam Kazam, Maverick, Octane Raceway. And uh, the attendees will be from the area as well as all throughout North America as well, including Craig Buster from Wild Island in Sparta Nevada. (laughs) Exactly.
2: So we'll talk about that interview here in just a second to kind of tee that up. But one thing Craig does talk about is getting involved. And one great way to get involved is to go to conferences like this, go to IAPA, go to BPAA. And... The thing about this one specifically is that if you are an FEC operator, if you're someone that's involved in the FEC business, this is where the the, the main players go, right? To really dive in and talk about the FEC business, not the fun educational carpenters, but the family entertainment centers. And um, Craig will be there. Craig's a member of the FEC Um, IAPA committee. And so he'll be there, lots of great speakers, lots of great education, uh, but probably most importantly is an opportunity to speak with and network with people who are going through the exact same things that you're going through. You are not alone. Nobody in this industry is alone as long as you're willing to reach out and find the people that are in your community.
1: Yeah. And the theme for this year's FEC Summit is designing the future and maximizing growth. And I just get pumped up from that title. Yeah. The speakers that are going to be there, the educational opportunities uh, are, are just absolutely going to be phenomenal, uh, including the, the keynote speakers. There are several several keynotes, uh, including Cayenne Krippendorf, who's going to be talking about being the disruptor, not the disrupted, which I know is something that you're very passionate about, from a leadership standpoint, from a from disruptive leadership. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, you know, and I think about what we've all been through over the last year and a half to two years. We've been disrupted. Right. That is absolutely what we've, what we've experienced. So, if we can sort of be proactive and take the bull by the horns and disrupt our own businesses, really shake things up, think about how we can do things in a slightly different way. Um, I think I've, I'm guessing that's part of the message uh, from, from Kayan. Uh Unfortunately, I haven't seen the speech and I won't unfortunately be there, but I imagine that's what he's going to talk about. And to do that is probably going to be a competitive advantage for people as they move forward.
1: Yeah, Uh, but the best part about all of it, well, the whole thing is the best part, but the best part that I'm going to talk about right now is that it's not too late to register. And we have an exclusive discount code for attraction pros, listeners, and viewers. You can save $200 on that registration if you register before January 14th. So if you go to iapa.org slash FEC Summit, you can enter the code 22 FEC SMT 14, and you'll save $200. And by the way, if you couldn't catch all that or if you're driving or whatever it is, that's in the show notes. So you can take your time and you can pull that up uh, on your phone, on your computer. Uh, whenever you get a chance to uh, to pull up that registration
2: page, absolutely. And Craig will be there. Craig will be um, able to, and uh, I'm sure, excited to meet everybody that, that comes. If you haven't met him before, um, so the the thing I think about the the summit that's also important is how they're taking safety into consideration. Just like at you know all the other expos, uh, they're following all the CDC guidelines, all of the local. Um, uh, guidelines and everything at the at the hotel and the resort um this is also a BYOM um, uh, event bring your own mask as oh, to make
1: up my own random oh. <laughs> answer, but...
2: well you you were so good at the FEC, i thought i'll just uh i'll just give this one by myself um but yeah bring your own mask there will be uh uh places where masks will be required so make sure you have one that you you like that is comfortable if you don't have one for whatever reason there will be some on-site that Apple will provide
1: Absolutely. But for today, we're talking to Craig Buster from Wild Island, and we get to hear all about his leadership philosophy, the culture of the team at Wild Island, uh, some of the innovative successes and failures that they've had over the years. And uh, Craig is just a phenomenal person, really interesting to talk to. And I'm really excited uh, to get to this interview with Craig.
2: I am too. And you talk about culture. And, you know, we asked him, sort of where that starts and he pointed to his heart and that was just such a such an incredible uh message i think that you know we we will hear more about but he also tells some great stories about when their facility reopened and i'm not going to you know uh steal his thunder but just listen for that story about when he talks about that his facility got to reopen after 80 days of being closed due to the pandemic it gave both Josh and i chills so i hope it does for you as well
1: Yeah, that's a good foreshadow right there. So I'd say in the meantime, let's get to this phenomenal interview with Craig Buster from Wild Island. Hey, Craig, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited to have you here today. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Doing excellent. Uh, And we're really uh, looking forward to diving into this chat here. So to get this started, Craig, can you give us a little bit of background? Tell us about yourself as well as Wild Island.
0: Well, let's see. I don't know how deep I want to go about my uh, things about myself, but uh, <laughs> I'm a big music fan. Personally, I love, love live music, but uh, I've been out here for about 29 years. My history at Wild Island is uh, I started out as a go-kart employee um, on April 19th of 1993. And uh, within two weeks, I kind of was digging the industry and I went to my boss and I said, hey, the guys I'm working for, they're, they're ripping you off he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, how about I terminate them and take their jobs? And he said, okay. And the rest is history. Um, We've kind of grown from there. So uh, we went from having three uh, three outdoor go-kart tracks and some uh, miniature golf courses. And of course, we have a water park. That's where we began. And then we started just continually growing our FEC. And uh, fast forwarding to 2003, we opened up Coconut Bowl, which was adjacent to our property. And uh, we've expanded Coconut Bowl twice since then. And now we're about 100, Oh, well, not about, we are 125,000 square feet indoor, plus our two outdoor miniature golf courses and a water park.
2: That's very cool. Cool um, uh, start, right? You said, hey, look, I see what's going on over here. You know, we, we've got to fix that. Um, yeah. I'd love to get your take, you know, looking at the history. And I'm always fascinated, but just by the term Family Entertainment Center, because that can mean so many different things. It could be mini golf. It could be one go kart track. It could be you know a place like yours that is continuing to expand. That's almost like a small amusement park. So, kind of, what's your definition of a family entertainment center?
0: Well, family entertainment centers, I, I would agree with you. I think it fits the spectrum. It's whatever you want it to be, you know, or you can call it LBE, low, ba- you know, location based entertainment those are such inside industry terms, you know, outside the industry, people just call us, uh, you know, what do they call us, fun parks or things like that, you know, and uh, I, I, I wish that the word, you know, family entertainment center would stick a little bit because I think that kind of fits, but it also can be a, it can be detriment to some businesses as well because when people hear family, they think, okay, well, the young adults won't don't want to come there when that's a good portion of our income and our revenue. And it's a great demo for us. So, um, it's definitely a, a struggle there, but I would agree with you. I think it just fits a wide spectrum. I mean, if you have a miniature golf course or an arcade, sure, call yourself an FEC. Uh, you know, within some of the organizations I'm involved in, we've discussed this and went down that rabbit hole. And in the end, it was like, eh, call it whatever you want. You know, <laughs> you guys can, you want to be an FEC,
1: sounds great.
0: <laughs> we tried yeah. to fit some parameters in there, but it never just never stuck.
1: So. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we noticed from your LinkedIn profile and your tagline, it says that Wild Island is the biggest little family entertainment center. And I think I can interpret what, what that means without having visited is that it's little, but it's big, you know, but uh, <laughs> curious as far as, you know, is is this a marketing slogan? Do you use this to set guests' expectations as far as what they are going to be walking into when they come to Wild Island? And kind of how did how did that slogan really come to be?
0: Well, that slogan really came to be because Reno is known as the biggest little city. So, uh, you know, we're close to, we're 22 miles from Lake Tahoe, about two hours from Sacramento and four hours from San Francisco Bay Area. And we draw pretty strongly from those areas as well. So I wouldn't say that we nef- necessarily utilize that, but, you know, it's kind of a, it, it, it's catchy and people kind of like that. And uh, we, we draw strong from, you know, people that want to come over the hill. You know, maybe parents are going to go visit the casinos, but they got their kids with them casinos kind of put in some arcades and things like that but ah, we crush them so they come to us you know and they want to you know have a good family experience and then the parents can go out and have a good time at night as well
2: yeah uh craig just before we started recording you said that you were in concrete before you got into the uh fec business and, and a go-kart operator so um I, I'm sure there's some jokes and some questions there about building a strong foundation, but um, I'd love to to kind of hear what it was that got you into the the FEC business. Like, wh- why did you want to start you know working as a go kart operator? And then, what was that what was that spark when you said I just, I just loved being in the industry? What was that spark for you? A good question.
0: Um... So I was pouring concrete and I was kind of doing that through college and uh, living my life in a van for about six months out of the year because I love the Grateful Dead. But anyway, um, that's a whole nother topic beyond beyond concrete. Um, So I worked for a place called Jensen Precast. I was pouring, making septic tanks and DIs and things like that that you put underground. And then uh, the ownership came to me and said, hey, we have an opportunity for you. I really didn't have any clue what was going on. Uh, once I got into it, it was, just seemed interesting. And I figured construction wouldn't be a long-term solution for myself. It just, that's a, it's a hard, it's tough, it's a tough life. It's a tough, a tough career choice. And um, I just didn't want to make sure, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And I was going to school for business. So it kind of fit. And then as time just kind of went on, I just kind of stayed here and I really enjoyed the culture of it. And I enjoyed I'm able to, I I bring a very peaceful mentality to things, but I'm also able to bring to able, I think that helps me deal with the chaos that is an FEC or a go-kart track when, you know, unfortunately a fight will break out, things like that. So just over time, there was numerous little land, you know, little landmarks there that I just kind of was like, this is a pretty cool industry. And then I remember going to Fun Expo when that existed many moons ago. And I, I, I was like holy cow there's a whole world out there and I just felt the industry was such a monster and I just continued to get more involved over time uh you know we've been IAPA members for 31 years things like that and I just started to like it I didn't I wasn't a typical nine to five Monday through Friday guy I mean I do a little bit more of that now but I still work my nights and weekends and I kind of enjoy it um I I like being off on a Wednesday when all of you guys are at work, I can go get shopping
1: done. (laughs) Yeah. It could be nice to have those, those weekdays free to to take care of those. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Um, One of the things you, uh, you mentioned there a few minutes ago is that you said you have a peaceful mentality, which helps dealing with the chaos of running an FEC, which can Mm -hmm. come in handy. You said sometimes if you have to break out a fight, uh, or break up a fight, not break out. <laughs> Can you um, expand a little bit up on really what that looks like and the importance of it, and and how that weaves into whether it's a service culture, the leadership culture, and the importance of coming to the chaos with that peaceful mentality.
0: Well, I just think it shows the you know strong leader. If a strong re- leader comes you know, on fire, running into a, a chaotic situation there's, you have no control of that situation. Um, you know, back in my grateful dead days, I learned a lot about myself and about people, but I just learned like, just, it's just relax. It's going to be okay. No matter what happens, you know, my bus broke down all the time. You just have to deal with it. You know, sometimes you'd have to catch another bus. Um, so I just, you know, I, I think it just it shows a, a, a you know different a leadership style, and that's what you want in a leader. You want somebody that can stay calm, cool, and collected. And we've had our fair share of some chaotic situations here, you know, with some injuries and things like that. And or as we mentioned, fights breaking out. I just think that it that's the kind of leadership that I I the kind of leader that I want to be. I look at myself as you know we have 182 employees right now, 20 managers, then group of supervisors. And if you're not, you get, I'm the head coach of a football team. That's really what it is. And a head coach of, a, of any type of team needs to be, you know, strong, diligent, calm, even in chaotic situations, but also stern when, when needed.
2: Craig, can you go a little deeper on that coaching mentality? Because I think that's something that a lot of leaders talk about, but they don't necessarily embrace because maybe they don't have a sports background and they're trying to be kind of a coach and and um, coach people to a different level and even be stern when they have to. So, can you go a little bit deeper into that philosophy?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's one of the exciting things about me is I love to de- I love to develop people and it's hard. I, I, f- I think I fail more than I succeed, but I I just learn. You know, getting involved in the industry is like one of the number one things I will tell people. Is go get involved. I don't care what part it is. Go to seminars, go to the shows. You know, I understand it's a chaotic, chaotic, ugh, chaotic time the last couple of years, and it's hard for people to get away or whatever. But when you can, it, it, it pays off tenfold, you know. And I, I think that it has helped me continually grow as a leader and has helped my management team grow as well. And I've been able to kind of, you know, tweak them a little bit. Uh, when COVID first hit for us, I'll speak for us personally, March 17th, we closed at 10 p.m. I was here, I'll never forget that day. And I remember a couple of days went by, and we just didn't really know what was going to go on. We ended up only being closed for about 80 days. So that wasn't as bad as, um, as some people, especially our friends in California. But um, I told everybody, I said, I gathered everybody in a circle, we're all working. I made every, we, we continued to pay everybody and we worked. And I said, all right, I said, this job is like a totem pole right now. I said, I just want you to, I don't want you to verbalize it, but I want you to visualize where you think you land on that totem pole. Do you think you're kind of one of the better managers, maybe at the top or are you at the bottom? I said, okay, now what happens if we don't know what's going to happen, but what happens if I have to chop the bottom 20% off, then where do you land? You know, Things like that, I kind of talked to them about and just you, got, you have to help yourself grow. I will help you grow until the cows come home. I will work, work hard for you, but I need you to do your part as well. And uh, we teach ownership here, even though none of us are true owners of the business. If you don't act like you own this business every day, then you can't work for me, period. Uh, you have to take that ownership. That's so, so important. So we'll use the word we and people go, oh, do you own it? Well, no, but that's just our
1: mentality. So hopefully I answered your question okay there. Yep. Okay. How can you foster that ownership mentality uh, from managers or from leaders or from, from employees when like you said, when they're they're not an owner in the business, but starting to, to think and act like that, that then yields the results that benefits them. And obviously of course benefits the owners as well, but benefits the entire group and team as a whole and the guest.
0: Yeah, well, our our owners they they've they let us run uh, as long as we're doing a good job for them and making them making money and making you know kind of going in the direction that they want us to. Um, then th- we make a lot of decisions for the business. I mean, it, when it came to our most recent expansion, it was you know basically myself and my management team. The owners didn't have anything to do with it. They just said go. Um, Culture, I think is really key and culture starts at the top and you have to have a really strong culture and it, you know, we're in the people business. You have to be able to, you know, get, share that emotion with somebody, whether it's a success or a failure, and you really need to dive into that. Our managers have been here. I just figured this out 14.7 years on average, which is great. I mean, I, I mean, I've been here a long time and, you know, people in the offices next to me, they've all been here close to 20 years. It's culture, culture, culture. We pound that into them and make them feel like they own it. I mean, we have L10 meetings where we make decisions for the business that can really affect things in a positive or negative way. And when we do that, we either you know uh, celebrate the success or we dive into why we failed and we just try to fix it. And we, we try to fix things pretty quickly. Um, so I, it really, really boils down to culture, uh, you know, our ownership, letting us kind of take the ball and run, so to speak. And then, um, myself and my counterpart at the water park, I think that we've done a good job and continuing to create that ownership culture and let them make, you know, big decisions for the company, you know, like, Hey, we're going to build a go-kart track. That's going to make X, Y, and Z dollars per year. What do you guys think? And some of the best ideas can come from, you know, a college kid that's a part-time supervisor for you. Um, we involve them in a lot of our, our, you know, we listen to them and you have to listen. You can't just rule with an iron fist.
2: Yeah, Craig, you had a lot of really great insights in there. And I'm curious if someone were, come, were to come to you and say, look, I need to revamp my culture. Like people aren't listening to us. We don't know what's going on. You know, people are leaving left and right. Where do you think people should start with that culture transformation?
0: Well we all have one of these things right here it's called a heart <laughs> and that's where it starts as you truly need to be able to you know get people that are gonna buy into what you're doing um, and just speak to them like a human. Uh, I, I mean I mean I think that that is so so important you know we are leaders strong leaders in the industry and we run crazy businesses and everything but you also just have to really open up and be vulnerable at times to people and let them know that you are I'm just a human too a lot of times people come into my office and go, I'm scared I'm like I'm just another human on I'm, I'm just we're just let's work together I, I want to go I want to go clean a table with you and which I really love by the way and sweeping <laughs> I'm a big fan of sweeping love it but you know I I want to work with them I'm not just because I'm the boss doesn't mean I won't. I will get in there and let's get dirty with you. And 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 I, I think that there's pros and cons of that. Sometimes it can kind of open up to the you know uh, uh, you got to be you got to keep you got to keep boundaries there.
1: I guess, but um, that's really just helped us uh, over time. When looking at uh, kind of this this ownership culture, and you talked about the importance of vulnerability. Uh, sometimes that, that could be taking a risk if it comes to you know, making a, a decision that turns out not to be you know, a, a huge success, whether it's implementing new, a new attraction or an operational strategy or, or obviously anything you know, related to the business. Are there any favorite failures that you have that ultimately led to growth, but uh, you have to reflect back on that and say, we, we wouldn't be here if we wouldn't have had that failure? Favorite failures is a funny way of putting it, because <laughs> I don't know if anybody
0: really has any I'm trying favorite. to spin it from an optimistic perspective. I, I, I love it. I love yeah. it, man. It's great. But yes, we do. Um, uh, the two uh, biggest favorite failures, as you would say, I, I'm going to totally steal That's it. It's great. Um, it would be uh, when we opened, we originally opened Coconut Bowl, which is our family entertainment center. It was 42,000 square feet. It had bowling and a high velocity playground and some other things within the, within the space. And we decided we were going to open a snack bar or a grill, you know, kind of the wraps and pizzas and things like that that could service our standard guests. But then we also wanted to open a high end restaurant. I visited some FECs that had some high end restaurant. I mean, we had like blue cheese crusted halibuts and, you know, uh, Chipinos and things like that. So we were going to mix that in. And people thought we were nuts. Well, we were um we, we, we completely failed uh, running a restaurant it was a, a totally new ball game for all of us we hired some restaurant managers um and it was tough and ultimately that business failed it cost us about two million dollars so we said okay let's let's lick our wounds and we said well, let's go after what we know and that's let's go after our demographic that we know so within that same space we turned it into a uh, a family style pasta restaurant called spaghetti joe's hired another food and beverage manager that failed as well <laughs> and at this point we're about 3 million in the hole is where we what we had lost at this point and now we're really looking at our wounds. and uh, ownership's looking at me a little funny you know all right well hey we're going to let's do blacklight mini golf because i know blacklight mini golf and it's still there to this day um, and, you know, what we learned is that the restaurant industry and, you know, when it comes down to you're opening a restaurant is that that first night you put all this advertising out, you got to nail it. And if you don't, you're done. And it was, I think what we were doing was too modernized or too advanced for what the city of Reno, no disrespect to where I live, lived here for 40 years. They would just were like, wait a minute, bowling lanes and Chapino that doesn't seem right to me. It just, it, it was it was a little bit too, too modernized, I think. So I think those would be our biggest failures, but you know, I laugh about it because uh, we learned so much from that uh, during that time about, you know, different type of people to hire and trying to, you know, find that the right leader within our space, somebody that's willing to roll up their sleeves and just wear a pair of jeans and let's get dirty and let's go. Um, And those guys we hired weren't that. Uh, You know, we had their executive chefs or high end food and beverage managers that just just wanted something different and they just
2: didn't fit our model. Yeah. So kind of along that line, have there been attractions or additions that you've added or, um, you know, brought to the table that were a little bit outside the box, maybe not as outside the box as the blue blue cheese halibut, but that sounds good. Um, But a little bit outside the box that maybe were a little surprising is how well they did do. Um,
0: I, I guess the, the two that I would mention would be when we decided to build a high velocity or like, you know, the indoor interactive playground, really nobody believed in it. And I was the lone, lone wolf on this one. And when we decided to do it and I just fit, I I thought it would fit the typical parent being a parent myself, like, you know, typical American. All right. I'm going to go out and take my kid out, you know, and you'd sit down, you can watch TV, have a beer or whatever it might be and let your kid play, you know, almost run them. So to speak, you know, let them run off some of that energy and nobody here believed in it. Um, the owner just finally said, all right, go ahead. And it was a huge success so much to where we tore that one down. We built a bigger one and it's just kind of a staple for us. Um, I would say the other one would be our, One of our more recent uh, attractions we put in with our expansion that we opened up in December of 18, which is our blacklight go-kart track. Um, We thought that one would do pretty well, but it blew our our expectations out of the water. Uh, We put something that was really, we had a storyboard. It's very heavily themed. Basically, you drive the go-kart track and it takes you through a story. There's a Hmm. waterfall. I mean, we really wanted to heavily theme it. I've been to plenty of go-kart tracks and they just were they're okay, they're nice, but they weren't. I wanted something immersive and you know, and I think that it it really paid off dividends. People walk in that door and they look at it and they go, I want to do that, and they'll pay whatever, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so I think that you know, as simple as go-karts are and as old school and they've been around forever, they
1: need to be redone, and it's been successful for us. You talk about just a little bit of the maybe the planning or I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word feasibility process, too, but I think that's probably the kind of the, the best avenue and, and looking at all the examples that you just gave from the restaurants that didn't work to the blacklight mini golf to the high velocity uh, to, to just all of that, what would you say would be the the breakdown of the intentional research and planning and, and feasibility that goes into it, combined with the gut instinct and just the, I would say, the, the knowledge that you have of your facility, your guests, and your demographic. I think you just have to know your
0: community. Um, you know, I, we wa- We've been watching our community grow, 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 grow. You know, we're basically like the small, small little Silicon Valley. Now we have Tesla, Google, Apple switch. I mean, they basically got out of California because it's too expensive to run a business. And Nevada gave them a bunch, you know, tax breaks to move here. And we have had a, we have a bunch of land in Nevada, if you've ever driven through it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I think just you have to be involved in your, you got to understand your community. You know, our marketing team does a lot of stuff when it comes to them, the demographics and things like that. They dive pretty deep into, you know, our Google analytics and whatnot. And we, we make decisions based off of data. Data is huge. And this industry struggles with that. But um, knowing the community, knowing the, what it needs and getting to a point where you go, you know what, we need to grow. Otherwise, somebody else is going to move in. Our mentality has always been we want to be the gorilla in town, and we are, um, and we will continue to be that way. We're the we're locally owned. We're very mm-hmm. proud of that. Um, we're very proud of what we've done here in little old Sparks, Nevada. Uh, half the time, people don't even know where the heck we are. That's okay. That's fine. We're doing well. <laughs> so... Um, but, you know, I think diving into the data and just really understanding your community, uh, I think that, you know, it's no different than one of the, the big chains, you know, that Dave & Buster's main event, whoever it might be, round one, they go in and kind of vet that process as well within certain communities and decide that they want to put a location there. So uh, we just do that on a probably a little bit more of a smaller scale.
2: Sure. Sure. Well, and Craig, you talked about associations earlier. And that's a that's a different community, right? I mean, you've got your your local community that you have to have to navigate and understand for your facility, but it's also the larger community, the associations that can help you figure out, you know, what do you do? What are those new things that you can put in? So can you talk a little bit more about your your involvement like in IAPA and and other associations and how that's helped maybe you personally and as a business?
0: Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm on the IAP FEC committee. I'm newly on there. It's something I've always thought about doing, but I wasn't sure if I necessarily had the time for it. I've been involved in the BPAA as well. Uh, I'm the regional Northern California, Northern Nevada president for the BPAA. I'm also on their education committee and their FEC committee. So I don't know. I've got some extra free time to get <laughs> what, what do you want to do? <laughs> um, so I, but I do that because it's, it, it's crazy what you can learn from the industry and here's an example i'll give there was a guy that worked for me he still works for me he worked for me about eight to ten years he'd never been to iapa and he just saw things on a very small scope little sparks nevada coconut bowl or wild island here we are we got there and within the first day it was the end of the day and we you know went to the beverage station <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. I think that's where I met Josh. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> we went to the you bed know of your face. Bed. <laughs> and he looks over at me and he's teary eyed and he says, thank you. He goes, I had no idea this was all out there. And from that day forward, that guy has just like been a, a monster for us. He realized that there was more to it than just your little center or your, your FEC or whatever it is. And, you know, we, we send a lot of people to IAPA. We have about 25 managers on our team within the park. Uh, and that includes our water park as well. And we try to send close to 10 to 11 people every year. We send a good chunk because there's just so much value to it. Networking. Uh, <laughs> if people, in my opinion, if people don't go to anyth- anything, anything, they're just stuck in a hole. Uh, you really need to get out there and realize there's an industry out there. I mean, when you can sit there and listen to somebody from Disney or Universal at IAPA, that that is really cool. I mean, they, they have such a big perspective on things, but you can also apply it on a very small scale. We do it to where, let's say it costs some, one of my managers $5,000 to travel to IAPA and back. Let's just hypothetically say that. The the goal every time is you come back with ten thousand dollars worth of ideas, and that's never been tough. We do every single manager is basically required to do that. Uh, we need to make it worth your while, and uh, people think it's cool when you go travel for work. I work harder when I travel for work than when I'm at work. So um, I, I cannot stress how important it is to get involved in this industry on some any on any level. Uh, the networking is just amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, And I think you you just shared just a a great example of the power of these associations and the networking and the education of being able to, if if you're at your facility, that sometimes, yeah, it can feel like you are on a lonely island, even if it's a wild island. I had to make the pun there. And then you get to, to an event like IAPA or any of these other associations, BPAA, all of those and you see, well, here's people who have the same problems and are doing the same things. And we're all able to come to these these solutions together. Uh, the One of the great things about IAPA, too, is, is how broad it is and how many different sectors of the industry. You can go to IAPA and you can learn about FECs and zoos and aquariums and amusement theme parks. Uh, but this is also a... a timely, I would say, message to talk a little bit about the summit that's coming up that is specific to FEC owners and operators. Uh, Craig, you're going to be there. What is it that um that you are looking to to gain or the reason for you attending the uh the FEC summit and why why would someone attend the IAPA FEC summit?
0: I just think it's more of a drilled down version. You know, IAP is, like you said, a very broad spectrum. spectrum and I think the IAP FEC Summit seems like kind of the players in the game, so to speak, you no know, different than the BPAA when they have their summit, it's, which is, I think, next week, the week before. It's kind of the players in the game. You're going to talk with the big dogs. Uh, I've actually never been to this. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that. I've never been. So I'm really excited just to kind of get there and, you know, be able to, to network of people and, of course, work. <laughs> um but I, I think it's and i know it's again I, I know it's a it's a tough time for people to get away but you know even if you can get away for a day or two i think that you're going to gain so much from it um you know there's a lot of good speakers there's going to be some good i'm excited about some of the the, the tours we're going to do with, like where's it, odyssey and bam kazam and octane raceway and mavericks and things like that i'm excited about the, you know seeing other facilities i mean when when my my better half and I travel I'm like hey look there's and she's like come on man I don't want to go to another main event or a bowling alley I'm like no it's cool I'll buy you a beer (laughs) so um you know I I think that I think people need to get involved they haven't had this summit in two years and I think going will be very beneficial to anybody that goes I can assure you of that
2: yeah. And Craig, you said that you work harder when you're at those events uh, versus uh, being back at work. And I, I know that's, a, you know, a bit of a euphemism, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. You work differently, I'm sure, in the in those, in those instances. And you also mentioned that you kind of challenge people, if you're going to spend this much money to send them there, well, you're going to come back with, you know, X amount of, of ideas that we can implement. So I think my question is, when you're going to those things, how do you know what those great ideas are? Or is it just that you, you come back and you implement some things? And like you said, you have some favorite failures and maybe it doesn't work, but maybe it does. And on average, it's, it's a bigger return on investment than a detriment. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, we yeah, we just come back, we'll vet the process. And typically what happens is we come back, we have our weekly manager meeting, and all the people that went to IAPA are just on this crazed high, just nuts. And everybody else is like, all right, slow your roll. You know, we've been grinding it out here, getting screamed at by, you know, a guest or whatever it is. So slow down and then we'll just start vetting the process. And then you start over time, you had come back with 10, 15 ideas or whatever it is you know, maybe it's a new game or new attraction or a twist to this attraction. And then over time, you start to go, well, maybe this one just gets kind of pushed out. And then that that list shrinks. And then we go, okay, then we start implementation within, you know, we start talking about it at our L10 meetings, which when we really drill down into things um, and try to try to figure out how we're going to make that work. Um, But, yeah, we still kiss frogs constantly. You know, (laughs) we make mistakes. uh, And if you don't make a mistake, you're not learning. And that is one of the beautiful things of, uh, of our leadership team here and within our ownership is that, you know, we we always say, and this comes across weird, we promote mistakes. Um, you know, I used to tell people, I said, hey, if you pinch yourself, does it hurt? And they go, yeah. I said, because you're human. You're going to make a mistake. And that's okay. Let's we just, let's learn from it. That's it. And let's not do that again. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I've made my fair share of big money mistakes and just have to keep on trucking.
1: Yeah. Uh, and you also uh, talked a little bit ago about you know, how the, the, uh, the importance of data in making these decisions so that they're calculated risks. You said that data is huge. And then you said our, our industry struggles with that. I'm wondering if you could expand a little on that. What data does the industry struggle with and why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think CRMs are very important. And the problem with the family entertainment center industry is we don't have one point of sale. You know, like for us, we have six point of sale systems. Mm-hmm. Um, our water park has one. So, being able to utilize that, that customer data to really manipulate, okay, I want to be able to get more, you know, 20 to 30 year olds from 6 to 10 p.m. in our arcade and having some of our new cocktails. You can really drill that down. I think with, uh, you know, I think cookies are with cookies going away, you know, on the magical interwebs um and things like that you have to have that first party data and it's funny because i talk to everybody in the industry and i'm involved in the fec 20 group and everybody's like "Ah, we don't really use you know well we will send some emails out to people it's like well i want to be able to pinpoint the newly married couple with two kids that are under 10 years old that live within five miles of here so without that data you can't do that so we are in the process of finding somebody right now that we can kind of take all of our data and put it in conglomerate into one area um, and hopefully be able to utilize that data to, you know, feed our marketing team. You know, any good facility is spending a decent chunk of money on marketing and they can only do so much instead of shotgun marketing, you know, or radio or digital billboard, which they, they have their importance as well. We utilize both. But you need to really be able to be within that digital space, be able to pinpoint certain things. Or if you want to do a special like, you know, Friday nights are slow, like for us, Friday nights have been good, but not great so how can we make that better well who comes on friday nights you know we have also we have wi-fi crm as well so if you log into our wi-fi i get your information <laughs> and we can take that information and go okay who's coming on a friday night between six and ten now how can we expand that and find you know lookalikes and things like that our marketing team uh, does a great job with this but we just need to provide them with data and that data comes down to you know just email birth dates. Uh, you know, zip codes, those, those basic things like that. And it's hard in this industry. And I, I meant Josh, the reason I say we struggle with this because most FECs just have too many point of sales and everybody just throws their hands in the air and goes, ah, forget it. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So
2: we can't. And it probably becomes overwhelming and hard to know what data to look at. Um, <laughs> And the way you describe that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, in the past, it's been, you know, you you, you cast a wide net, like you talked about with billboards and things like that, you, you get as wide a net as you can to just filter in as many people that might like your message as possible. Whereas what you're talking about is like little itty bitty nets, but they're very much more targeted to people and situations that you need to enhance. Is that kind of a, yep, a good description? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to do shotgun marketing, we call it. You know, let's just get a bunch of, get our messaging out there, like we did for New Year's Eve recently, digital billboards all over town. But you also need to be able to pinpoint it so you can
1: try to bring that customer in. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, with all these decisions and with these investments and the expansions you made with Wild Island, you did win AAMA's top FEC award in 2019. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what, Went into winning that award. What differentiated you from the other finalists, and uh, what what do you attribute the the award to?
0: I would have to say that it it our management team. We talk a lot about uh, we need to celebrate wins, and we don't do that very well. We'll get all right. We had a great record weekend. Check. Let's move on. And we just we don't celebrate that win. So we decided to take some time and some efforts to. Let's try to win some awards, you know, and let's see. And we were obviously con- completely biased, but we think we're <laughs> one of the best. I mean, uh, so we started applying for that. We applied for uh, the top FEC of the world, which like, which this year we were a finalist for IAPA. And just to be a finalist is really cool. Little old, you know, biggest little city here, you know, I own Sparks, Nevada. Um, so you just have to, we had to dedicate some time to that. And then celebrate those wins. I, I mean, it's a tough business, man. You know, and I've got people here for 20 hours a day. You know, your phone just never stops. I don't think, except when I'm talking to you guys. Um, <laughs> so, it it it's a tough business to be in, and you got to celebrate those wins. And I mean, you need to stand up and clap and jump on a table, whatever you need to do, or have a shot, whatever it is. You need to celebrate those wins, and I think that's really, really important. It's easy to get stuck in the grind, so we started focusing on trying to not be so humble and put ourselves out there a little bit more. And uh, when we won, we were surprised, um, we really were. And then um, I think everybody else was too, because uh, some of the other people were like, who are you? <laughs> which, was, which was great, um, people know who we are now. I think people always have for a while, but now that we've really put ourselves out there, uh, but yeah, the top FEC of the world, being a finalist for that was just super cool.
2: Yeah, congratulations on that and your win in in 2019. Yeah. Uh, very very well deserved. I gotta get out there and, and and check you out at some point. I you know have not been out to Reno for a long time, but would love to to stop by. Um, but I want to go back to something you were talking about with your management team because you said a lot of folks have been there. I think you said 14.7 years right. on average, which is amazing. Um, but I'm also guessing there's new people that are coming in and new managers and people that want to want to make a career of this industry. So what do you find? Is some of the most common advice or guidance that you're giving to people that are trying to, to kind of break into the industry, besides going to IAPA,
0: <laughs> which is very
2: important. Yes.
0: Um, yeah, you know, that's a tough one. I just think you have to come into it with an open mind. You got to be able to work. Um, it's 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 a it's a tough industry, but it can be extremely rewarding. You know, I think that if you kind of sit on the sidelines and just kind of coast when you go when you drive home at the end of the night. You might not be as rewarding, but you can make an impact. People, we're creating experiences. I don't care if it's Disney or the smallest little fun park in the small town. You're creating experiences for those people. And you have to think like that every day, that that family's coming in and they're, they're just so excited to be there. And even though mom and dad might get angry at some point at their kids, they're still gonna remember that, you know, and they need to take home something and making sure that their last memory is a memorable one, usually at a redemption store, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're, you're creating experiences, creating memories, you know, I mean, uh, we've, done, uh, we've done wakes here, we've done weddings here, we've done everything in between. And it's, it's, those are memories that people will never forget. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that people just kind of overlook in this industry. I mean, you know, we have like we have senior bowling leagues here. We have 46 bowling lanes and those are memories for those people when they come in, especially over the past couple of years when people are finally able to get out again. I mean, when they first came in the doors and I'm going to get off track a little bit, sorry, but when we finally reopened after 80 days, I stood at the front doors, they opened up the doors. And people came in, and I'm like, hey, you know, so and so, blah, blah, blah. And they all, all these nerdy bowlers get down there and they're getting their bags out. That first ball hits the pins, and the whole place erupted, and people are just clapping. I mean, if you don't think that that's powerful, then you get out. You shouldn't be in this industry. And I walked away, I was crying. I'm like, oh, geez, ah." I had to, I was crying because it was like, that's cool. We, we, we create memories. I mean, you've got an 80-year-old bowler throws the ball down slower than heck and it finally hits the pins and people just erupt with, with it. So we blew that. I wish we would have made it our reopening a bigger experience, a bigger deep balloon arches and I don't care. We would just, we should have just blown it up. So I think that'd be my biggest thing is that you got to remember you're creating experiences for people.
2: Yeah.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that that story gave me chills a little, and it's me just <laughs> a bowling ball hitting the pins. What it you know what it's supposed to do, right? But it you know is. Uh, such an overwhelmingly emotional moment for so many people who had, and and we thought 80 days was a really long time. Now we're, you know, about to hit two years in this, in this pandemic here. And some people still or many people still have not uh, uh, gotten out and uh, I I would say brought their families to have fun again. And, you know, all for, of course, justifiable reasons, but, you know, you make such a good point of, you know, there, it, it can get lost on in the day to day that, when you come to work and your job is to serve guests who are having an experience and seeing a family entertainment center or an amusement park or a water park or whatever it is, uh, that it becomes very normal and very routine to see people who are out and having fun and enjoying themselves. And you sometimes need to kind of project yourself onto the guest of this is, this could be their first time out in, you know, could be in in two years or in 80 days or in a long time and, and put yourself in that guest's mentality of they are here for that experience and, uh, and recognizing that that what you do is really exciting. Right. And uh, when my managers get into that negative space, I tell them, I say, go
0: upstairs, take your work shirt off or put on something that's not work related, come downstairs and just walk, walk around and look at people. Just look at, don't look at it from a business perspective. Just watch people, watch the expressions on their faces. And they'll be like, all right, I get it. I was in a bad place. (laughs) It's pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, come on. And I I think that's, you know, it's it's important that you have to keep that perspective.
1: Yeah. Um, One of the other challenges, one of the many challenges that the, that the pandemic has brought on to has to do with staffing and employment. And you talk about, uh, you know, the managers and the leaders that you have that, that have, uh, you know, significant, you know, tenure at Wild Island. Uh, how have you been impacted by those challenges and how have you navigated those as well?
0: Oh, we're no different, man. I'll tell you that. Um, we're just no different, but it's uh, interesting. I'll share another story, if that's okay, is I had one of my supervisors. Uh, he's 22, part-time college kid comes up to me and he goes, you know, we do a pretty good job here. And I said, yeah, why do you say that? And he goes, you go everywhere else in town and people have really adjusted their hours or they're closing on Mondays and Tuesdays and all that. He goes, we've done none of that. He goes, you guys have set it up to where we've it's been business as usual. Now it hasn't been easy. We a lot of smoke and mirrors, you know, but <laughs> um, I, I, I think that that goes down to uh, a lot of different things. we Constantly have dealt with like let's do let's do bonuses for people let's do cash bonuses if you cover a shift um, our culture has paid off dividends for that you know uh, we have you know kept we kept everybody on during when we closed we nobody went away and everybody everybody within our leadership team was allowed to work as many hours a week as they wanted salaried had to work their forty um but we've just constantly touched base with people uh the words please and thank you go a long way even though uh, in my opinion the younger generation doesn't quite get the please and thank yous that well um <laughs> we still say it and it's important that you you show that and you know be vulnerable you know i had a conversation with one of my, my mechanics yesterday and the guy just kicks butt for us and i you know we have to wear a mask when we're on shift and i pulled my mask off and i'm talking to him i said you get brought up a lot with our management team. And he's like, I do. I said, well, it's, it's either good or bad. Which one do you think it is? He's like, I hope it's good. And I just told him how much I appreciate what he does. And the kid works his butt off. And that goes a long way, you know, coming from myself that when we're standing in high velocity and he's trying to fix one of the vacuums in there, or whatever it is. And I, it's important that we all do that. And I think that we've been able to hold on to people. Now, granted, we still struggle. We're about 20% down on staff as it is today. But we've, uh, we've given out a lot of free money, <laughs> to be blunt. You know, hey, you showed up today. Here's 50 bucks. We'll feed everybody on a weekend. So they don't eat here. We'll get something from you know, an outside source a barbecue place or whatever it is and we'll just cater the whole day for the staff just those little things a lot of employee events we have a lot of that type of stuff employee incentive programs so we 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 spend a lot of time and energy on trying to make the experience good we know that it's changed especially over my 30 years of being in doing this and that younger you know generation has changed we need to adapt to that instead of complain about it just adapt to it you have to figure it out talk to them they'll tell you what the heck they want
2: Absolutely, yeah, I, I find way too many people are trying to look at it through their, as I call them, old and cracked lenses, right, mm-hmm. instead of looking at it through the, the younger generation's lenses, because they'll tell you, you know, kind of, kind of how, to, how to operate, um, but I'm curious, since you've, you've had so much uh, experience, been there for 30 years, you talk so much about culture, talk so much about what, what great things you're doing there, but what if you weren't in this business, what would you be doing? oh no man <laughs> would you be at the beverage station <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> i i i don't know i think that i would probably be in some type of leadership role within a company but i don't know what it would be i really don't i hopefully i wouldn't still be pouring pouring concrete no disrespect to anybody that does but it just wasn't for me man but i don't know i think i would be in some type of leadership role because i think that's the most rewarding you know uh Many moons ago in my first marriage, uh, when I got married, uh, the DJ told him not to say anything. And he gave one piece of advice, and it was a great piece of advice. And I, he starts talking. He goes, Greg told me not to talk, but I have something to say. And I'm thinking, I told you don't talk. Let's play music. And he said, you know, you need an imaginary time card in your, in your, in your pocket. And when you, when you go to work, you get into the garage, about to get in your car. You grab that time card. You put it in there you go to work. And when you come home, you take that out, you put it out in your home. And, uh, we've always, uh, I've always done that. I still do it to this day. I just did it this morning. I put my stupid imaginary time card in there, (laughs) you know, trying to separate those. That's been harder over time, but, uh, I just think that being a strong leader, it's not going to always work out that way. I'm going to continue to work even when I'm at home. So I've broken the DJ's rule,
1: but <laughs> it's, it's, it still can be a good thing that you, you try to do from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. It's such good advice too, and has become increasingly difficult with more and more people working from home that it's it's uh, it's something that needs to be an intentional reminder. It's something I always try to work at and, definitely far from far from being fully there but uh um, but uh, I appreciate that reminder I'll say that <laughs> work life balance exactly yeah. exactly um, so Craig as we start to wind this down here I, if people wanted to uh, get a hold of you directly or if they wanted to learn more about Wild Island where would you send them uh then go to our website
0: wildisland.com that's plenty of information there uh my contact information's on there or you're welcome to email me let me give out my cell phone address i'm just kidding um,
1: <laughs> it's no, been my, done <laughs>
0: uh, my email is cbuster at wild pretty easy b as in boy by the way yes my last name is
2: buster nobody believes that um <laughs> so yeah cbuster wild island.com or just go to wild Excellent, Craig. This has been a fascinating conversation, and we really appreciate your time and all of your insight. Do you have any sort of last final thoughts for uh, for our listeners?
0: Um, I, I guess my last final thoughts would be, you know, get involved in the industry somehow. Please help uh, educate yourself, share your experiences. There's people out there like you that have been through what you're going through, um, and I would have to say that you know, there's a couple of companies I won't name them, but a couple of companies that helped us and me get through this crazy COVID time, uh, you know, by having weekly Zoom calls and things like that, where people were able to really express their emotions. Uh, and I, that means the world to me. And because we're all just humans, man, uh, we just need to be there for each other. But get involved in this industry because it has a lot to give and there's a lot to learn. I'm far from knowing everything at this point. Um, I will continue to strive for that, but get involved.
1: Excellent. Well, Craig, thank you so much. Uh, We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. So thank you for being here. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.